This is the Alchemy of Art podcast, episode 80, Community Engagement, Artist Sam Love. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to explore creative ways to transform our lives. Alchemy was the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another, and we all do this every day. Whether you are a painter, a sculptor, a baker, or a gardener, every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we explore ways we can change both our physical and spiritual selves for the better. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. I'm an artist. I sign my paintings with the name Vita. I teach online creativity classes and have written a few books, including The Alchemy of Painting, Developing Your Style and Purpose, and my newest book that was recorded for Audible is called Start Selling Your Art, A Guide for Starting a Professional Art Business. When this podcast first started, it was to share just stories about artists, and that morphed into artist interviews, and now we have expanded our topics of discussion to include ways that everyone can harness their creative energy. If you want to find out more about me and my work or sign up for my newsletter, you want to go to studioalchemy.art. The website is www.studioalchemy.art. And now let's have our interview with Sam Love. Sam Love is a social and civic practice artist who organizes public projects that connect communities to their cultural and ecological histories through publishing, multimedia installations, and performance. Sam's family has lived in Gary, Indiana for four generations. He serves the city as an independent artist, community organizer, and educator. He's the editor of the Gary Anthology, which is a book that I finished at uh, 11.30 last night. <laughs> um, it was published by Belts Publishing in 2020. His video collaboration with Raymar Brunson, Calumet, I hope I'm saying Calumet right. Calumet. Cal you said it the Dutch way. Uh, what? You said it the Dutch way. It's Calumet. Uh here, but yeah, Cal well, I do have Dutch ancestors, so that makes sense. <laughs> Calumet, the region's river, will debut in early 2022. Sam was a 2019-2020 Indiana Arts Commission on-ramp fellow uh, and a recipient of the Individual Advancement Program Grant, also through the Indiana Arts Commission. And I met Sam when he has been a fellowship manager for this year's Indiana on-ramp um, program with the um, uh, Northwest Indiana group. I went to a a uh, several day long class up in Gary and got to meet Sam and, and a bunch of other wonderful artists up there for that class. It was very intensive and we got to know each other well and we learned so much. I wish I had taken a program like that 20 years ago when I was right fresh out of school. Was, uh, the on-ramp program is just a wonderful program and this is how I got to meet Sam. Um, as an organizer, Sam began with the Central District Organizing Project in Gary, and later he co-founded the 219 Might, 
the Mass Incarceration and GEO HALT team, which helped to form and lead a multiracial anti-racist coalition that stopped for-profit prison projects in Northwest Indiana. Um, and the list of things that the staff has done goes on and he's gotten funding from the Legacy Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, the Field Museum, and it, it goes on and on because he's so prolific and does so much. And the reason I wanted to have Sam on today is because I used to only interview painters, you know, maybe a few sculptors on the show, and the sort of traditional artisans. Um, but I wanted to branch out and and find people who are doing creative work that is stretching the boundaries of the traditional art world, um, connecting people in innovative ways. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about how the creative process can be used in so many ways in our lives. And cooking I've been thinking about lately. I want to get a chef on the show. That would be great. So. Um, Without further ado, here's uh, Sam Love. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, Addie, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to chat with you today, especially after having just finished the Gary Anthology book. So my first question for you is, you have a special relationship with Gary and Deanna. For those who have never heard of Gary, can you describe it? What troubles and triumphs have you seen there? And and let me preface this by saying that back in the 80s, I was a little kid um, and we watched the movie, The Music Man, my family and I did. And, and my mother commented when the, the song came on that is about Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, my home sweet home is, is how the song goes. And um, it's a very happy little song. And she said, oh, this is so sad. I said, why is it sad? She said, well, because Gary's had all these troubles lately. And it's just, this, it's kind of bittersweet to hear this song about Gary. And that was the first time I had ever heard of Gary, Indiana. So um, it, Sam, tell us all about it. <laughs> well, it's a city. Well, let's start with some quick facts. It was founded in 1906 by the U.S. Steel Corporation to house the workers of what would become the world's largest fully integrated steel mill. Uh, that steel mill is still there just a couple miles west of where I'm sitting right now. Um, <clears throat> I guess one way to approach this history is to look at all the monikers and nicknames that have been given to Gary over the years since the very beginning. It was the instant city. It was the magic city of steel. Um, and then during my time, um, you know, starting in late 70s and beyond, it was plywood city and murder capital. That was another one. It was a city that's lost a huge swath of its population. I think the peak was probably about 180,000 in the late 60s. And then today we just dipped under 70,000 on the most recent census. And it's been on decline now for, what is that, six decades, I think. Um, but it's also a city that, you know, as you read, I had this long historical connection to. My family's been here. I'm the fourth generation to live here. Uh, my family got here in 1911, um, kind of just follows the ebbs and flows of the history here. Um, but what I've always seen, maybe it was just a little different side of it, you know, and part of it is like, if you want to look for trouble, you can go find it. But if you want to look for other things, you can find those as well. And my interests have always been the history of the city. 
And then a lot of my practice has been based on getting that history, not just, you know, let's not just do the history in history class, but like let, literally let's do it in the streets, parks, let's do it through poetry, let's do it through nature. Um, so I, I've been, you know, fortunate and smart enough and lucky enough and all that to weave that into a practice that's been sustained over, well, I'm going um, 10 years active living in Gary. I lived in Chicago for um, sort of in between growing up here and then, you know, living here as an adult. I was in Chicago, but my focus was always Gary. I mean, my background was history. Uh, I have a master's degree. I got bored with that and ran away from grad school, but was smart enough to um, get a couple of signatures on a piece of paper that gave me another piece of paper that said I could go teach college. So I taught college in Chicago for about 15 years. Um, but I always had that connection here and I started community organizing and that led to another level. And then it was like, let's bring some of these arts people that I'm working with in Chicago and some of these community organizers and, you know, let's make connections and let's see what's going on in Gary. So it's, it's fun. It's a friendly city. I've, I've said this for decades now. It's like, I always think the friendliest people I ever meet are from Gary, you know, <laughs> like, meet someone for the first time and they treat you like family or you could meet someone not see them for five six years and then you meet them again and they remember everything about that first meeting with you and like mm. when I was in Chicago I was uh, I got burned out in Chicago when the Occupy thing was kind of falling apart and it's like there you meet someone and two weeks later they don't even remember you and it's just it's affectation is what it is so I got mm -hmm. sick of you know just like people who care about their neighborhoods and their communities and don't need to like draw tons of attention to themselves for that. I found that here. So mm. been real happy down here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I just finished the, your book last night, the Gary anthology. Um, and so you helped compile and helped uh, other people to write their own personal stories from Gary and uh, also it includes a section of poetry and it has some photography in it. Um, but, but it was, I just, I, I really enjoyed reading it um, and was blown away by some of the stories. Um, you know, there, there was one where gentleman had, had has his house broken into seven times and some, some sad things like that, but he was very uh, passionate about staying and about doing work that was going to make things better and and so many of the people really just saw the beauty in the place and and that resonated throughout the book but yeah, I'd love for you to share how the project was put together why it was important to you um yeah what are your thoughts Sam well, it's part of a, an anthology series from Belt Publishing, which is a very oh. cool independent um, small press in Cleveland. I call it a small press. They're getting reviewed in the New York Times and things like that. Now. Oh, it's exciting. Not um, but they've been doing this since, I think, 2011 or 12, just focusing on Midwestern or Rust Belt, hence Belt, um, focusing on cities. I think they started with like Cleveland, Detroit, and then, you know, branched out um, as people got in touch and the network grew. And then so um, the Gary Anthology was the first one in Indiana. I'm really proud of that. And I discovered Belt not long after they started. I was, when I was in Chicago, I was with a group called Area Chicago that was kind of similar to Belt. And a lot of area writers 
ended up doing stuff with felt um but uh, i i'd seen this and i thought one day there will be a gary anthology and i will do it and today is not that day uh but i always had that in the back of my head and then one day on twitter a friend of mine tagged me on a post made by martha bain who is the former senior editor of belt publishing she's with uh, illinois university now or university i don't remember again i'm a grad school dropout so i don't really care about citation style all that much but she had asked, where's, where's somebody who could do the Gary book? And someone was like, you need to talk to Sam Love. And then I immediately was like, hey, I'll send you a proposal in, on Monday. I'd never written a book proposal before in my life. I just knew a lot of people, you know, I, okay. as work in arts and all that. And I, I have an ear for the stories mm -hmm. because I just raised on those stories of Gary. And then when I did my undergrad work, I worked with a guy who has done an oral history magazine of Gary since the 70s, early 70s. So um, that was kind of my thing. You know, it was what I was really into. And I just, I, maybe I saw things that other people didn't. So yeah, like the next day the, I had a contract and then a, year, and then a <laughs> pandemic hit. <laughs> and things go a bit awry, but it was in, and then you know the supply chain delays and all that. There's huge mm -hmm. delays in publishing, but my book came out like it ended up coming up like six months early or something. Okay. Everybody turned their work in on time, and the poets were the first to turn their work in on time. So I appreciate <laughs> we got the book out just in time. Otherwise, wow. so it really is um, how it came together is kind of an amazing story too. But I'm so happy. It really it came out pretty much the way I told them it would in the wow. in the proposal okay so, okay kind of saw, i saw what it would look like before i even had anybody sending me work and i had that one day where it was like oh my god what have i done but pretty quickly on it was like oh this is going to be a great book yeah so, yeah cool um did you have did you interview people and you're recording what they're saying and then you wrote it or or did oh. they um, did they write it out and type it out and then send it to you and you sort of edited for typos? How did that work? It's it's kind of all of that. Each each okay. one kind of had a different approach. I will say this: the final section. I think there's okay. what four stories about the future of Gary. I think those were uh, all done the first way you mentioned, where I okay. had order and they gave their story or they recorded it on their own and I transcribed it um as were some, a few of the other stories in there as well some of them were just literature composed some were people I didn't know that came in as a surprise but yeah I ended up doing a lot of the oral stuff as a tribute to my professor Dr. Lane and his steel shavings magazine but also um some people were ill uh, some people's jobs were such that yeah hey I'd love to be in there but I don't have time to sit down and write so okay. kind of helped to, to, yeah, take the, I was trained in doing oral history. So it kind of helped to, um, okay. stories. I mean, yeah, people tend to notice there's an orality about the anthology yeah. that makes it different from a lot of the other books in that series. Sure. Sure. And one other question about the book, I mean, you know, COVID hit and blah, blah, blah. So, and we've had to deal with that. Um, did you have a have you had a book launch party as you normally would or are you planning one or did you do something online or what I mean I don't know how we, did you celebrate the book coming out during this time we did a, a small signing um at a gallery down the street from me here in the Miller neighborhood okay and that mostly we did a lot of online stuff we had like the local university I think Belt did something as well and then another group oh the 
um, like a local cultural organization all hosted these panel discussions. So a lot of the writers got to go on and talk and things like oh, that. So and I actually really like that because see, that's something that I can go put on my website or it's something mm-hmm. I can, and it keeps the book on people's minds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. the idea of the traditional way of doing it where, I mean, yeah, you have a book release and you sell a hundred books, you're pretty good. We couldn't do that. So I'm, my hope is that, you know, if we sell a hundred a year or something like that, I'm, I'm happy with, it. you know, yeah. it was a chance to tell our version of the stories and not through some lens of an outsider. So um, Belt has been very good about that. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. All right. So you have a new project that you've been working on and I've seen some of the videos that you have online that you've been posting. Um, the Calumet. Calumet Wilderness. So you could tell I'm not from Gary because I don't I don't know how to pronounce your river name. Um, so that's the, the, the river that runs through your area. And uh, what's the drive for the project? You know, it's a video project. Um, how's it being put together? Um, what's the purpose behind the project? Well, okay. So for eight years, I've been telling my wife I was going to buy a kayak. I mean, like oh. every time we drive over this river, which would be twice a week, probably. So twice a week for eight years, I'm going to buy a kayak one day and get out there. And finally, one day I had the money to do it. And I loved it. Um, it was wonderful. And I really, you know, I, I always take snapshots. I've been involved with photography. I don't, I used to say I did it semi-professionally. Now it's more of an adjunct to other work I do, but I worked for a photographer locally for many years. And, you know, I've been, I've had photographs published and I've gotten money that way. And I quickly realized when I was out there, I was getting to places that are hard to get to Mm. and that people don't, most people don't even know exist. So I wanted to I wanted to present that because a lot of the work that I've done is about getting to appreciate the natural ecosystem here, mm-hmm. really kind of make that front and center. So I realized a still photograph did not accomplish that. I a panned 10 second shot or something like that. And I just felt compelled to do it. And I put it on YouTube and I got a bunch of views and nice comments. So I said, well, okay. And it, what it first evolved into is folks who were unable to get out like older folks or my father who was the one that showed me the first love of the nature out here he was ill at the time so he's sitting in a hospital bed watching these I'm like I'll keep making these then I'll make them every day if if you want to watch these well lo and behold you know next thing it's like oh I have 60 subscribers on YouTube and I'm getting 100 views on some of these videos and I'm not really promoting them at all for me it's a way to kind of collect my thoughts for a book I'll write one day Hmm. um which we can talk about if you want but it's sort of um I'll say this, I um, was talking with some of the people involved with critiquing you guys' proposals for on-ramp. Mm-hmm. We were complaining about like, oh, you know, when you judge a grant, if you're not an expert in the field, how can you be a helpful judge to them? And someone was, someone got asked, well, why is this artist who wants to be an author doing a blog? And then I chimed in after it was all, I said, oh, my publisher told me, get a blog going. Every indie publisher tells a right, get a blog going, get attention, do your own PR. Mm-hmm. So kind of that as well, but it's, it's come into its own thing. And I'm like, fine. I'm having um, discussions with people who are interested in nature from around the Midwest now. So it's kind of taking off in a way that I kind of hoped it would. And yeah. I'll just keep doing, I got like a hundred more episodes planned at least. Uh, and then yeah. I got one 
go back to each place over the seasons and then I can buy better equipment one day. But it started with the kayak trips. I wanted to document <laughs> our waterways up here because they're okay. abused. They are mm -hmm. abused. They are paved over. They are ignored. And they're so vital to the overall health of, of this. So it's a way of getting into talking about environmental racism and classism. Um, I also think here in Northwest Indiana, we have a lot of Pollyanna types who brag about our dunes as tourist things. But once there's yeah. industrial pollution that happens frequently, they, they disappear. They don't criticize. They say nothing. And, and sometimes we feel like we're being censored. Those of us who have environmental concerns you know, we don't get to do or we get ignored or we get told we're going to have a certain opportunity to present to the public in these formats and then we don't get calls back. So it's like, well, this is my own channel. I can say whatever the hell I want. Yeah, that's part of it, too. But it's it's easy for me to do because I am outdoors, you know, almost every day. Anyway, I do long distance walking in the winter pretty frequently um, okay. I run on my feet. It's an old Russian literary technique like you, you walk and you compose in your head and then you sit down later and type it out. So, you know, oh. for me, four to six mile walk in the, during the day is work in a lot of ways. So. Interesting. So yeah. you're, it, but you said it's Russian. I've not heard of this. It, it, yeah, it was, I learned it was one of those Russian, um, I don't know if it's Dostoevsky or who it was, but it was like, you must learn to write on your feet. And I was like, oh, I get that. Cause if I okay. sit down blank screen, I'll, sit there for an hour and have a paragraph whereas if I go for a walk I can clear my head a little bit and then I'm in a better mood to start thinking about putting sentences together yeah interesting yeah I think I've I've done something similar when I had a speech coming up you know and I might go do something that's active where I can just be going over the phrases or thinking mm -hmm. about what I yep. want to say and what's important about it and, and processing it as I'm doing physically something else that's interesting what's also uh, fun is that when i encounter people i can engage with them i can say hey, if you hear me talking to myself i'm just doing this little youtube thing and then like people really want to talk i've had these really interesting encounters from that um, okay so that's kind of cool because before if i had a sentence i would talk into my phone and record it and if someone's walking by they're like that guy's crazy and then i'm usually in all black and i yeah you might have a weapon or something on me some of the places i go so i i've been told i look like the person they want to avoid when they're out on the trail. Island <laughs> <That's> <laughs> YouTube channel, people react differently. And they really do. I've met some cool people, like a woman taking a van across the Great Lakes or some local poets or even school kids. I love when kids are out and they're waving at me and I'm in the river waving back. Stuff like that. So much fun. So okay. oh awesome. Yeah. It's it's can be a challenge to find ways to engage with other people, um, which we talked a lot about in the on-ramp program. Yep. When you're an artist, how do I engage others and how do I get them involved? Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to share any thoughts about that. But uh, I do yeah. have a, you all did an amazing job because the reviewers who looked at your projects all commented literally all 16 started with this isn't this is great this is excellent i'm i'm sitting back arms crossed like yes my dude <laughs> uh, but we got we got a special commendation about how good the community engagement sections were on ours and we had mm -hmm. the now president of iac uh, observing that panel as well so i'm definitely i'm like is this what it's like to be a baseball manager when your team hits 16 <laughs> in a row because this is awesome <laughs> yeah. but you all put it so much work 
And it was the hardest part of it. It was hard during the workshop. It was hard during the review that mm -hmm. I did. Everybody, it, it, a lot of conversations and just trying to clarify what we mean. And, you know, we're not trying to get you all, we're, you know, we're not, you're not, your job isn't to make revolution or change everything. It's just make an effort to take your work outside of yourself and mm -hmm. uh, you and everyone else just, you, you all did good by me. I tell you what, uh -huh. really yeah. I was, was so happy just sitting back observing all that and just knowing now that next year, all these amazing projects you'd be happening across the state. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes too, that when we engage with other people, in our mind, it's going to be this big, epic thing. Like, yeah. Oh, there's going to be tears and heartwarming, big thing when we complete the project, when uh, someone hears it and it touches them or whatever. Um, but oftentimes, those moments are actually quite small. Yeah. Um, and I, I've got to quote one thing from your book. Okay, so this is from the Gary Anthology. And then this section was put together by Daniel Summers. <laughs> the Ruins, okay. This will, this will go right to his head, too. <laughs> <laughs> He's my buddy. We went to college together. He's a good dude. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so in his section, he says, near a stop sign, I see a woman with her children picking up the litter on the sidewalk. Down the block, a man is painting a fence while another washes his car. In other words, despite everything, I see hope. Oh, and I loved that because it's like hopefulness and the the things that are really transforming and changing, they're small. They're, they're these small little pieces that together make the bigger whole and that's going to change the community or going to change the individual. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's my grounding in Chicago, you know, a big city, um, you know, you've got this upper crust, especially in the arts world, you know, that type of thing. And we were at like the bottom, we're at the closest connection to the neighborhoods, but through that, a philosophy develops where it's like, it may be small, but small doesn't mean insignificant in any right. way. And lots of small acts do add up. So <clears throat> yeah, definitely, you know, Gary, that what he describes could describe a lot of blocks in this city definitely yeah. describe mine in a way so mm -hmm. that's reality you know people for the longest time thought you step foot in here and you're going to get killed or if you're white you'll be killed or chased out it's just not true if you mm -hmm. come in and be decent you're going to make a bunch of new friends mm -hmm. that's how it is i could say this after like 25 years now so yeah yeah you know, felt that way in the mid 90s and it still feel that way. You know, you put your money where your mouth is when you actually go live in a place mm -hmm. and uh, things can go wrong or it might not be, you know, you might've been too idealistic, but I think I've always been more realistic about things. Um, just as an aside, like last year when all the disturbances were happening, people were calling, oh, it must be Hoffman and Gary. No, not at all. Pe no, there's a lot of apathy. There's, it's more conservative actually than people think. Most of my black neighbors were appalled by what they were seeing happening in the streets. They were appalled by police brutality and violence, but they're appalled by people looting and burning too. And they're not listened to, or they're being by you know elitist liberal types. So um, my heart's with the people. I'm a working class person. My history, my family history, is working class, and that's where my loyalties lie too. So I find my 
part of my practice, the political edge isn't to instill an ideology or even be didactic in any way, but reflect what I'm noticing um, in the communities I work in. Mm. So I'm yeah. not trying to serve it. There's a lot of progressive values as well, but you know, like most good Americans, it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. Stay off, stay off yeah. my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, one interesting thing to me when I read about, um, when I was reading the Gary Anthology, was I saw parallels there between other places I've lived. Mm. I'm currently living in Indianapolis and I live downtown. And, you know, where I live in the 80s, it was apparently very, very, very scary. And we do occasionally have bad crime here still, but there's um, the community here where I live downtown is tighter and, and closer than anywhere else I've ever lived. And yeah. I saw that in, from what I'm reading about Gary too. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's sometimes the someone else's story we see ourselves reflected in it as well. Yeah. So that's cool to hear. I, I, in some ways, I wanted it to be a unique Gary story, but have universal values. Right. And I think another reason for the oral, the orality, or that feel of it is, I have. I always admit now, I didn't do a heck of a lot of editing. I kind of let, <laughs> you know, if it was clear we're going to let it roll. You know, some people put a lot of work in and even had writing coaches, but I wanted to capture, especially from the people who were living in Gary, how they talk, what yeah. their are, things like that. So, you know, I kept a lot of the patois as best mm. I could. It, I think it has that real, you know, sit down. I want to tell you a story. You're my friend now. I think it has that feel to it. It's yeah. Um, yeah. 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 You know, a city with, with neighborhoods where that fabric is still, because Northwest Indiana is pretty suburban. So like an urban mindset doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And by urban mindset, I mean, like, you know, you live in a neighborhood, you live close to neighbors, you do things outside more, you don't drive everywhere. You know, you might take the bus or the train or things like that. And that's, you know, the cities are the biggest communities in, in Northwest Indiana, but there's more suburbs. So it's more of a suburban mentality. So just to yeah. show we exist up here too. We, we, we people who love the cities. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that you had people write in their own voice and keep that tone. Um, because when I grew up in the South, so I, you know, was a teenager in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you know, mm. so much of the grammar and the right, when oh. we would write in class, it was, you know, you can't, you can't write ain't, you know, because right. ain't isn't a word. And right. well, no, it, but it is a word because people use it and we know what it means. And to, to change the way people are writing is, is changing their voice. Yeah. And I, I always had a real problem with that. And so, um, so that's really necessary. Another nice thing about your book. Okay. You. Great. So. <laughs> yeah, that was intentional. Oh. That was intentional. You know, some, there's an academic leaning essay. There's a couple that are like that, you know, there's some mm -hmm. short flash fiction. There's the poetry. I wanted a good mix of styles in there. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, feel like I got enough. I of course would like a 700 page book, but the publisher was like, you know, each page just costs more. So don't be afraid. <laughs> Turned in something under 200 and that's what we got yeah well maybe do it again in 20 years or something um okay so next question i'm writing a book on symbols which you know about because this is part of my on-ramp big project um and i love hearing about what images are important to people 
what's your favorite symbol? What does it represent to you? So when I taught at a college in Chicago, I taught like American government. I taught a wide variety of courses, including a career development course, which really helped me prepare to lead on ramp. Uh, but my favorite class to teach was humanities, which was sort of our quote, Western Civ. Um, we had five terms a year, nine and a half weeks. So I was always teaching for about 15 years. And the humanities class was the only class I continually had to keep studying. American government doesn't change much. Okay. Uh, how to write a resume doesn't change much. When I started teaching, we weren't sure if Homo sapiens and Neanderthals intermingled. You can now go pay 50 bucks for a test that tells you how much percent of your genome is Neanderthal now. So okay. I absolutely love that. And I was in downtown Chicago. And during my breaks, I would go to the Harold Washington Public Library. And I pretty much read every book they had on cave art. Okay. Most of which were very old and out of date. But for a symbol, my the one that immediately jumped out at me, um, it was found in the Blombos Cave in South Africa. It was a rock fragment that had some red ochre lines. And I'll describe it. So two parallel lines. And then in between those parallel lines is a series of X's. And I, it's the, you know, there's still some debate. Is it, is it human made? Is it natural? Does it, does it show cognition at work? But a lot of people, and I, I take this view, this is the oldest artifact we have to show human cognition. Because when I looked at it, I thought that's the same as the yin and the yang. The intersecting X's show different dialectical forces at work. You know, the yin and yang, the opposites. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, an element of the opposite is within its antagonism, you know, things like okay. that. It leads right to dialectical materialism, which is the worldview that I hold. So I saw those intersecting X's. I, I was like, there was a story involved with that. And it had something to do with, you know, what shapes the world we live in, what forces are at work, how, how are they at work? I saw that and I, was, I immediately jumped that out. So that one to me, it also is... Um, I think it indicates the, the, the double helix of our DNA. If you actually mm. you know, a three-dimensional structure and make it two-dimensional, it's just a bunch of lines intersecting. So yeah, yeah that one, uh, ooh. <laughs> we, it, we, we've been this for a long time. We've been trying to figure this out for a very long time. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Have you read the book, The First Signs by Genevieve von Pletzner or... Um, but she's an archaeologist and she went to all these different caves and recorded the different symbols and then <clears throat> made, um, you know, a, what a database with all the symbols and then identified that there were, I think, 30 that she just saw over and over, over and over, over. again. Yep. And um, it's just a fascinating book. So, yeah, I don't know if you've read yeah. that, but. Yeah. I haven't read I've watched many YouTube videos. I've seen. Yeah, uh, she's done great. That's how I found out about her. Was seeing um, her TED talk yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. Getting back at some of the roots and like, you know, certain animals like the bee um, have this sort of instinctual drive to create a certain pattern, the honeycomb, and like, mm. you know, there's something like that for our species that we have become disconnected from. Yeah, I I could yeah. stay up all night reading stuff like that, and a yeah. lot of times. <laughs> I haven't taught in um, over a, well, let's see, it's about eight years since I've taught, but I will still stay up late at night reviewing the latest literature on human developments. So yeah, that's yeah, it's fascinating stuff. We can definitely geek out on that. Um, yeah. Okay. So my last question for you is this, Sam, you seem to go with your gut on your passion mm -hmm. projects. 
Um, and how do you decide what projects to do next? Uh, do you know what your next project will be? And, uh, you know, this is one of those selfish questions because I'm, I always, I have so many ideas. I bet you're the same way, but it's, can be hard to narrow down. What should I focus on? Um, and I, I know if I don't focus on, if I don't zero in and focus, then it's just going to be, my energy is just dispersed and the, nothing's really getting accomplished. Um, do you have any tricks? Maybe you don't. It's okay if you don't. <laughs> I'm just looking for <laughs> whatever, whatever pays. <laughs> Put the energy there. I've got some things lined up. I can't quite say yet because nothing's really uh, concrete, but we have some cool stuff in Gary. I was just on a meeting about turning an abandoned elevated rail line um, that actually used to be a race and class barrier in Gary, turning that into an elevated trail. So there's going to be some discussion about that. Um, some of our colleagues of our, you know, we have plans to do projects next year and some smaller funding lined up. I, I sometimes for me, I guess I can sit back and wait and things kind of fall in. Um, my big project is um, updating my website and relaunching that. Samuel A. Mm -hmm. Love. Um, I've got okay. some stuff up there now, but I'm working with one of your cohort members, Maddie, to actually build the kind of website that I've always wanted, which will. Mm -hmm be an archive of my work, but also a celebration of the people I work with. Um, you know, for me, I, I do think about energy. You mentioned energy and I do when I, I'll get into something and maybe it's kind of the way my brain is, but it's like, I'll get hyper-focused on something and I'll, I'll go really deep in it. And that's, that's fine. But at some point it's like, well, does it continue? So like the Calumet wilderness videos, I hike all the time anyway. It's just my phone. I don't have a bunch of equipment I need to bring with me. I don't have a crew I need to worry about scheduling with. It's easy to do. If the video ends up being 10 minutes, it probably took me 20 to 30 to edit it. I can, I can do that. Um, I used to do a blog about environmental issues around here. And for a while, I was getting like 600 readers a day, which I thought was great. And then one day it just stopped. And it was during a major issue at a point when people we would we needed more people getting involved and paying attention the public did the opposite and I thought well I'm taking an hour or two a day to write this blog post and now I'm getting 30 readers I can't continue it and I'm doing it for nothing I can't continue so for me you know money is one um mm -hmm. the cost of living for us is quite low out here and we don't have children so that obviously creates a slightly different scenario than for people. So I guess I, I don't want to say, hey, do as I've done, because it's going to, no, it, we, we know it doesn't work that way. Um, but I do think about income. I do think about my free time. I think about what my interests are. And uh, I'm really hoping this website kind of streamlines things, because I think if I could leave advice, go back to those unique value statements we worked on right at the beginning, mm -hmm. and if articulate to people, this is what I'm about. They'll, they'll, oh, okay. Oh, I can totally see why you're getting in that boat and going out there and doing that. That makes sense. And then you're writing about urban issues and Gary as well. People might even see the connections. So mm -hmm. uh, I think the other part for me, I'd like to leave people wondering a little bit. I mean, I had someone hire me to do a consultancy for something. And at the end of it, she's like, what do you do? I said, well, you hired me. You obviously, you know something. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jack of all trades and master of none, but better that than a master of one. Um, and in a world where if we look at work and how patterns of work are changing and how kind of what we're doing, which is multiple revenue sources, the portfolio career, it's like we do have to be pretty, pretty um, 
diverse in our talents. And I was teaching that in that career development class 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the those fields were saying you're you're not going to hold the same job all your life. You're going to change industries a number of times in your adult life. Right. Uh, I just pulled together every skill I had and started applying it to what I saw needed to be done in the community. And maybe I have yeah. a little being a you know someone with historical knowledge and a bit of political knowledge, so mm -hmm. I can I know how to get involved and not waste my time. I suppose. Um, <laughs> And I can tell you, living in a place like this, there's always something to do. Yeah. There's always, yeah. <laughs> and there are victories. So, yeah, there's always, I mean, it might even be just like a neighbor needs me to help mow their lawn. And then here's some, a little bit of money for that, something like that too. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we do what we can, big yep. and small. Yeah. Big, yeah. Yeah. A lot of small. <laughs> lot of I don't small. know if I get big scale stuff. I see some of these people burning out and whatnot. And I think like, that's really not for me, you know. I'd pass mm -hmm. up certain. If I had an opportunity where someone where the money was good, but I had to work with someone whom I didn't respect, mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it. I'm maybe I'm blessed, I'm lucky and privileged, but I think long and hard about doing it. Like mm -hmm. how much because my mental health and sanity and happiness is I mean, I don't know. We don't go to restaurants, we don't take vacations and wear like yeah. army surplus clothes here. It's you know, I don't yeah. need I don't have those desires. Yeah. So yeah. Just try, you know, again, I think it starts for me because I started with history. Yeah. All that we could do history in, in ways outside the classroom and we could do it in ways that were true to history, but also not confined to just book reading as well. We can make it. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And, you know, they have this ideal of living a balanced life. And I think mm -hmm. that it is something we want to keep in mind. It's like, I don't mm -hmm. want to burn out. I want to yeah. make sure I have enough energy to cook dinner at the end of the day. And, yeah. and yeah. that I'm not, you know, just treading water or floundering when I could be really swimming toward whichever goal and really getting something done anyway. But, you know, these are ideals that, that don't always work. Uh, we sometimes, I, I sometimes was just get burned out because I'm just putting yeah. so much energy, but you know, it is good to, keep these things in mind. So, well, thank you, Sam, so much for, for sharing your thoughts with me and everyone who's going to listen to this show. Um, it's inspiring what you do. So thank you. Well, you all have inspired me so much, you know, on ramp, the cohort I was in changed my life and trajectory. And then coming back and seeing a new group come through that had its own unique, uh, benefits and thrills to it i'm just so excited to see what's going to be happening around indiana and just watching all of you and you know don't hesitate to call you know oh okay awesome well hopefully the world will be healthier we get down to indianapolis that was the coolest thing about being involved with iac i was getting down to indianapolis i was like wow you all are doing a lot i gotta bring some of that energy back home because we're we're still stuck in a mindset in the region that we're like we're inferior to everything else and it's like there are so many creative people yeah. Like yeah we can play i don't think you know it's not us alone who are going to make things better but we can play a role in our communities so yeah well you've got the passion i mean all the different people that you interviewed or that we we, we heard their interviews on the panels mm -hmm. um who are from gary i mean they were they were really inspiring to me because there's a passion that's there that um yeah wasn't what i expected it's great oh yeah. cool cool yeah. good good yeah, I had no idea what I was getting into when I signed up for it. So, but at the end, it was like, oh, yeah, we're going to create. <laughs> yeah. Power to the people. Great. Power to us. 
that's right power to our communities definitely yeah okay all right well thanks sam thank you